We turn again in our study of 2 Corinthians. This evening we're moving on to chapter 12. Chapter 12. We'll be reading the first 10 verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've been with us on Sunday nights uh, lately, you know that Paul has been uh, on this theme of defending himself against uh, the false super apostles that have taken over in Corinth. And uh, he's been going back and forth and using terms like fool and boasting, uh, but he's using them in order to show to the Corinthians, one, the foolishness of doing so, but also the fact that his boasting is not in that which one would normally boast in. Those super apostles are are boasting of the things that the world finds uh, uh, boastworthy about their eloquence and about their knowledge. Paul, in the chapter we had last Lord's Day evening, was boasting about his weaknesses. Um, But he takes a slightly different tact when we come to chapter 12. Start at verse 1. All writing, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter, behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, Then 
I am strong. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer this evening. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us. And we just thank you once again for the privilege and opportunity we have to come and worship you this evening. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with Pastor Bob as he delivers this message. And please be with us as a congregation that we accept this word and learn how to apply it to our lives and learn how to serve you better. Dear Lord, we just thank you for everything that you have given us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Three things. One, Paul's vision, which takes the the first part of the passage I read. Secondly, Paul's thorn, which is then introduced. And then thirdly, God's grace, which closes out this section of God's word. First of all, Paul's vision. What is the reason he speaks of it? Paul has been speaking of weaknesses. Paul has been speaking of persecutions. Paul has been speaking about being beaten with rods, being whipped. Paul has been speaking about being shipwrecked. And all of a sudden, rather than speaking about that manner of things, Paul now goes on to speak about this vision, this revelation that he received. Why does he do so? What, what's, what, what is it that, that would motivate the apostle to change the very way in which he is laying his life out before the Corinthians? Well, first of all, I'd have you take note that Paul does so in the third person. Now, there is no doubt, and there are no commentators who who doubt this either as well, that that Paul is actually speaking about himself. This whole, you know, I know of a man who was caught up, and he's talking in the third person, but Paul goes on to talk about the fact of, on his behalf, verse 5, on behalf of this man, I will boast. In other words, on behalf of this person I have talked about in the third party, third person, that I will boast about, but I'm I'm not even going to put my own name to this situation. But he is talking about himself. This is an experience that Paul had. This is a vision, a revelation that our brother Paul did indeed receive. But the reason why he's willing to do this, the reason he's willing to journey down this is because once again this continues the same theme as i mentioned a few moments ago of where we were he's still dealing with these false teachers and and as we have been looking at these false teachers these super apostles have been berating paul over and over and over again they've been raking him over the coals not just the gospel that he preaches Not just the grace that he preaches, but also his own person, his his look, his speech has been mocked and ridiculed. They've been saying, how can this man be an apostle? Look at him. Look at him. Does that look like somebody God would use? That's what's been going on. But they have also been building themselves up, talking about their own revelations, talking about their visions, talking about the fact that God has been communicating with them. 
something that was later going to plague the church as well and that which is going to rise later in the Gnostic heresies that are going to come. It's already fermenting there in Corinth. And, and the idea is, look, we're better apostles because, look, we have revelations. We get visions. Now, Paul, not to defend himself, but to defend his apostleship, now goes down the road of saying, okay, let me tell you, you're not the only ones who have visions and revelations. I know a man too who had one. And again, he, he doesn't want to be boastful in the world's way of being boastful. He doesn't want to be arrogant in the world's way of being arrogant. So he does it in the third person. But he's going to relay to them the fact that he too has had a vision. Now, what is the content of it? Well, what, what do we read here? We read that this was something that happened to Paul 14 years ago. That's what we find out in verse 2, which would mean if we put somewhat of a chronological chrono, chronology together, this is rather early in Paul's ministry. It's not like he had this last week from the time he wrote this. This, this was quite a period of time ago. He also talks about the fact that that what the vision is about is that he, the man, was caught up into the third heaven. Now, understanding that from a Jewish point of view, first heaven is the place where birds fly. The sky, we would call it. The place where the clouds are. That, in the Jewish mind, is the first layer. That's the heaven, we would say, the bird is flying in the heaven. The clouds are in the heavens. That's the way a Jewish person would say it and understand it. We would probably use Scott in place of it today. Jewish person, secondly, talks about the place where the sun, moon, and stars are as the second heaven. We, today, would refer to that as space. When... A Jewish person wanted to refer to the place of God's abode. When they wanted to refer to the place of God's throne room, glory, we would say, they would refer to that as the third heaven, a spiritual dimension. So Paul is saying, I was caught up not into the sky, I was caught up not into space, but I was caught up into this spiritual heaven, this spiritual dimension. He doesn't even know okay, if, if he was caught up with his body, if, if his whole being were there, or if this is just a matter of the spirit transporting him there. He, he doesn't really know which of the two. In fact, he repeats that a couple of times. He, he's, he's, he's not trying to say, yes, I am so great that I bodily went into heaven and then have come back. Paul would not dare go that route. He would not dare be that braggadocious. 
thinking that somehow he himself would be worthy to be caught up into heaven. Paul says, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I, it was with my body or spirit. I, I, I don't know. But I was caught up there. Now, this is what's interesting. Well, Paul, what would you see? Don't know. Well, I do know, but I can't talk about it. I was told not to speak. Well, what did you hear? Well, I heard some things, but I'm not allowed to speak of them. Now, once again, folks, let's just put this in perspective. This is the Apostle Paul, okay, called by Jesus Christ, set apart by Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Paul who has been on countless missionary journeys, who has suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, and yet as he is brought into the place of God's abode, he is not allowed to speak of this. He is not allowed to relate that which he saw or that which he heard. But just step back and ask yourself, doesn't it seem a little strange to you then, just strange, that if the Apostle Paul is asked to be silent about that experience, why is it that God would choose to take individuals in their, quote, near-death experiences, transport them into glory, and then allow them to write all sorts of books about it. The two just do not go together. This is not the way God operates. This is not the way God works. Isn't it interesting? We never hear anything from the widow's son, from Nahan, who was raised from the dead. Isn't it interesting? We never hear anything from the little boy that Elijah raised from the dead. Isn't it interesting? We hear nothing from Lazarus was raised from the dead. Isn't it interesting we hear nothing from the young man that Paul raised from the dead when he fell out of the window? Isn't it interesting that in the Bible, those who have those experiences, there is silence. Yet it seems when there is a dollar to be made, a movie contract to be made, people flock to tell of their experiences. I think it's one reason why you and I ought to be cautious. This passage ought to tell us we ought to be cautious about that. We ought to step back from that and think about it and evaluate it. Because here's Paul having this experience, not even wanting to identify himself as the person and being unable by command of God to speak of this. Why then does Paul even get the vision? Why then does it occur? Well, let's put it in context. What was chapter 11 about? Chapter 11 was filled with all of the sufferings, with all of the beatings, with all of the persecutions with all that Paul has physically, emotionally, and spiritually endured for the cause of Christ. What is this revelation then? 
this is God's means of coming to his servant and bringing him comfort. All, it is worth it all. It is worth it all. All those rods that have struck you, all those whips that have beaten you, it is worth it all. See, Paul, where this ends? You see this third heaven? This is where it ends. It's interesting because Paul could have relayed many other times he has received words or revelations. Acts 16, 9 and 10. Acts 18, 9 and 10. Acts 22, 17 through 21. Acts 23, verse 11. Acts 26, verse 19. Acts 27, verses 23 and 24. And it's alluded to again in Galatians 2, verse 2. Paul could have chosen any one of those to say, guys, you think you're the super apostles? Here's the list. Here's the list. Here's the list. Here's the list. But he does not do so. Paul takes the one experience in which he sees God's wonderful word of comfort come to him. Bring him peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul. In the midst of all of the suffering that he has endured. And that, you see, that, that little peace that we just got here is what the rest of the chapter, the rest of the section is now about, isn't it? God gives to his people just what they need in the midst of all the trouble and all the suffering that they face. Because the second thing Paul does is he relates to us the fact that he has this thorn. So, pick it up with me at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now let's just focus in on this a minute. What is this thorn? Well, the thorn is not Paul's cross to bear. If Paul had meant to talk about the cross, Paul would have used the word staros. That's the word Paul constantly throughout the epistles uses to describe a cross. The word that Paul uses here is galops. It's a word that simply means a pointed instrument, such as a stake. Or, quite literally, a thorn. Something that is pointed, that inflicts great pain. Now the question is, what is it that Paul has as a thorn? What is it that Paul is dealing with? What is it that that has come to him that he is praying about, asking to be delivered from? Well, the Bible never tells us. 
The Bible never defines it. The Bible, Paul never goes on to say, and the thorn is this and this and this. Now the first question is, well, why not? Why wouldn't Paul just come out and tell us what his thorn is? Why doesn't he just say, this is the thorn? Why is God's word written? What's its purpose? Purpose is for you and I to see the revelation of Jesus Christ, isn't it? See, the problem is, this is what would happen. If Paul defined exactly what his thorn was, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Paul's thorn was that he had a hearing loss. What would everybody do who has an eyesight problem? They'd go, well, you see, that's not the thorn. You know, I'm I'm in a whole different category. The fact that Paul does not define this leaves this open so that all of God's people who deal with a thorn in their flesh can see can see God speaking to them in their circumstance and in their situation. Some believe that Paul's thorn was a spiritual thing. Paul goes on to talk about that. It's a messenger from Satan. From that, they they take the idea that Paul is wrestling with some sort of spiritual problem, a spiritual thorn that just kind of keeps needling him that keeps pricking him, that keeps poking him. Something, for example, perhaps like depression, discouragement. Or perhaps the the spiritual thorn are the enemies that he's dealing with here. And that's why he mentions it here. It's like these super apostles. It's like these people, these Judaizers, the Jews in the synagogues. It's these people who are always opposing me. It's my thorn in the flesh. Some people believe Paul might have been dealing with some particular sin. That there was something that that Paul struggled with personally as far as a temptation, as far as a sin is concerned. Others believe that the messenger from Satan means that Paul is dealing with a specific demon that has been sent in order to to somehow cast doubt in the Apostle Paul. Now, although I would suppose that there might be reasonable explanations for those, the rest of Paul's writings, it would seem, would cast any one of those out. The way in which Paul writes under inspiration of the Spirit would seem to say that these are not the struggles Paul is dealing with. That this is not his thorn in the flesh. Doesn't mean that there weren't times when those things occurred, but but Paul is dealing with something here that, that he cannot at all get away from. And most of those things, if they were spiritual thorns, the deliverance is found in Christ. There's actual deliverance for them. 
it would seem that probably the better way of understanding this thorn of Paul is probably a physical one, a physical ailment of some sort. Paul writes in some of his letters about the fact that he has to write with large letters. Why might he have to write with large letters? Maybe he has an eyesight problem. Maybe he, he's got a macular degeneration problem and he, and he can't see like he used to before. And This is limiting him and he feels limited by it. Some believe, and I, I would place myself probably in this category, I think Paul is dealing with an arthritic condition. I think Paul's many years of working uh, on sales and working with canvas has resulted in, in a great deal of, of arthritis that has set in. The beatings that he has endured and so on has resulted in the fact that his body is, is just inflamed with pain. That would seem to fit the picture of a thorn. You know, when you and I get, get a large thorn okay, in our skin, and, and we're not able to get it out, you know what it does. It grows, it festers, and, and pretty soon it begins to throb. And then it's just not the spot where, where the thorn is. It's our whole hand or our whole arm or it's our whole foot. And it, and it reddens and it's tender and it's painful. And that pain almost sends itself everywhere in your body. But what exactly it is, we don't know. But it's a thorn that obviously is causing Paul discomfort. So much so that he asks three times to have it removed. In fact, the, the wording that we have here is the fact that, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord about this. Now, I've heard explanations that says, well, Paul prayed about this thing for three times and, and then got the answer. I, I don't think verse 8 is telling us he prayed about it. I think verse 8 is saying he pleaded. I think there's, there's, there's a difference here. This is not Paul saying, you know, Lord Jesus, you know I'm dealing with this thorn in my flesh. Uh, please take it away. And he does that prayer three different times think there's an intensity with verse 8 that he pleaded that that there is a sense in which this is this is not just a sentence or two but this is this is hours hours spent on his face before the lord this this is time spent like christ in the garden that that he is pleading pleading for this throne this thorn to be taken from him But it's not taken. And if we ask the question, why? Paul himself supplies the answer. In fact, he tells it to us two times. Go back to verse 7. He's just relayed his vision. Right? So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me 
in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Why has Paul been given this thorn? To keep him from pride. To keep him from conceit. To keep him from saying, I have seen a vision of the third heaven. Paul, be still. I gave it to you. It was for you. And as a reminder of the fact that you're not a super apostle, to remind you of the fact that this doesn't lift you up above the rest of mankind, to remind you that you are but a sinner saved by grace, like everyone else, Paul, I'm giving you this thorn in the flesh. We, we ha- and, and I know it's termed a messenger of Satan, but you have to understand that in the terms of, of Job in the Old Testament. That, that there is Satan seeking to harm Job's life. And he needs to go to the Lord for permission to do so. So ultimately it is the Lord who is bringing these things to Job. So Paul recognizes this. He understands this. Satan is the messenger. The thorn is a messenger from Satan. But he understands that the purpose for the reason that was given is to keep him from being conceited. To keep him from becoming too big for his britches. To keep him grounded. Keep him grounded in grace. See, the truth of the matter is, folks, in the reality of this passage, is this not true of all of us? Isn't it not true that God needs to ground each one of us every day in grace? Else what happens? We become prideful. We become arrogant. We become holier than thou's. We think we're better than the people of this world. How easy it would have been for the Israelites to think we're better than Egyptians. No. It's only by the blood of the Lamb. It's the only reason you're saved. It's the only reason you're walking out of this place serving just as many idols as they are. Your hearts are just as rebellious. You're just as stubborn. It's only by grace. See, if it were not for the fact that God has to continually come and humble us and turn us back to Him over and over and over and over again, that we constantly seek Him, we'd become full of ourselves. You know what we'd become? We'd become Pharisees. We'd become the teachers of the law of Jesus' day. We'd become those who thought themselves righteous. We'd be those coming to church saying, Lord, thank you that you have not made me a sinner like those people outside of our church building. God humbles us. We deal with our thorn in the flesh. 
because of the way that the answer is going to come, it is safe to say that in some way, in some respect, every one of us deals with our own thorn in the flesh. For some, it may be a physical ailment. For some, it may be an emotional struggle. For others, it may be a spiritual one. So let's move on to the answer. Three times he prays. But he said to me, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The answer that Paul receives, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? What, 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 what does that, that, that mean? Well, let's look at three important words that are found there. My. My. Who is speaking? Well, verse 8 says that he spoke or was pleading with the Lord. That's Paul's term for Jesus Christ. Three times Paul has been pleading with Christ over this matter. Christ's response is, My grace. My. My as the sovereign Lord. My as the one who is completely self-sufficient. My as the one who is the great I am. My, who is the one who is the fountain of a never-ceasing grace. My, the one whose grace is never expended. My, whose grace never empties. My, whose cup never runs dry. My, who continually, over and over and over and over and over supplies grace. My grace. Now what does he mean by grace? Here. Is he simply referring Paul to the fact that Paul, the salvation that I have granted to you is enough? Buck up. Come on. Quit whining about your thorn in the flesh. You're saved. What more do you want? No. That is not what is meant here. When he says, my grace is sufficient, he's saying, my kindness, my compassion, my goodness. Oh, yes, it entails the saving work of the Lamb on our behalf that we who are sinners are made alive in and through Jesus Christ. Yes, it refers to that. But that's not all Christ does for us, you see. How vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. How vast the benefits... It's not just one. It's not just our salvation. 
how vast the benefits divine. We're going to see that next Lord's Day when we watch the Israelites in that wilderness journey. He doesn't just save them. He gives them all that they need. That is His grace as well. That is His goodness. That is His kindness. All that they need, Christ supplies. Paul, my goodness, my kindness is sufficient. The provision of my kindness, the provision of my goodness fills all your needs. Turn to the book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 4. Start at verse 14. Paul's writing to them, to the church at Philippi, because they shared with him in his time of trouble. They, they helped, they supported the ministry. Okay, that, that's what's going on. Okay, verse 17, he's acknowledging okay, that he didn't really seek the gift, but okay, they gave it and he appreciates them giving it. Okay, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now listen to 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. How vast the benefit divine which we in Christ possess. My God, Paul says, will supply all your needs. That's grace. That's grace. See, we don't deserve salvation, but we don't deserve any of these benefits. See, that's why it's grace. We don't deserve any of God's kindness. We don't deserve any of God's goodness. We don't deserve any of the merits of Christ. And yet He gives them to us. That is grace that does so. See, it's grace that not only saves, but it's grace that helps us persevere. It's the blessings of Christ that just keep coming and coming and coming so that all of our needs are met in Christ. That's what He's answering, Paul. Paul's praying, I need this thorn taken out, Lord, please. And the answer comes, oh, my grace, my goodness, my kindness that comes in a never-ending fountain flowing out is sufficient. You don't need your thorn taken away. You may want your thorn taken away. You may desire your thorn taken away. But Paul, you don't need your thorn taken away. Paul, if I took away your thorn, you'd become conceited and arrogant. 
the thorn, Paul, is actually my grace to you. If you didn't have the thorn, you'd be sinning. You'd be puffed up. My grace is sufficient. Because you see, Paul, my power, my power gets displayed when you are weak. If you didn't have that thorn, Paul, you know what people would be saying? Wow, that Apostle Paul, man, he is the greatest. Man, that Apostle Paul, he is the most wonderful. Man, that Apostle Paul, he gets visions and everything. Oh, man, we ought to be following Paul. We ought to be listening to Paul. Paul, is that really what you want? Do you want you exalted, Paul, or do you want me exalted? Paul, who is it? Who is it? Notice how Paul responds. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If having this thorn that I have pleaded with the Lord to have taken away, if having this thorn is the means by which Christ is glorified in me, then leave the thorn. Whatever weaknesses, Lord, you want to bring, let them come. Because in those weaknesses, Christ is glorified. Christ is upheld. For the sake of Christ, then, content. Content with weaknesses. I'm content with my thorn. I'm content with the insults. Content with the hardships. I'm content with the persecution. I'm content with the calamities. Why? Now I realize when I'm weak. That's when I'm really the strongest. Because that's when Christ is most evident in my Lord Jesus, you are the fountain of never-ceasing grace. Thank you for answering our objections. Thank you for speaking to us in your word tonight about our condition and about our situation. Thank you for telling us that it's in our weaknesses that you are the strongest in us. Help us to not only hear this word, but help us to accept this word. And help us to live in the amazing comfort that this word brings. The Lord, you promised you're never going to leave us or forsake us. So even when we've got our thorns, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your power and strength that you grant to us. You give to us all we need.
Christ's name. God's people say, Amen.